This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. What is happening? You can raise your hand. Somebody can get you a Bible. We're in Matthew chapter 27 and 28. But before we get into our study this morning, we have one of those beautiful voices that helps lead us in worship, Jewel Puckett. Come up, up on the stage, Jewel. We want to pray for you. Is going back to college in Arizona tomorrow? Tomorrow? Well, okay. Tuesday. Okay. So we're going to pray for her. Father, thank you so much for our dear sister and the place in the body that you have her here at Paradise. And we pray that, that she would go in your strength, that she would go in your grace, that she would go in your mercy, that you'd fill her with your Holy Spirit, and that she would impact those who are close to her over there in Arizona. We love her. We're going to miss her. And we thank you for her, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. All right, so today we are going to be finishing our study through the Gospel of Matthew, our Forsaken Kingdom series, and, and the timing, we've mentioned a few times, the timing is, is pretty incredible with everything that we have going on in our country right now, everything that's going on in the world right now, and it's been really good to take the last year, especially the last six months, but, but really take the last year to focus on the importance of our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven versus the citizenship that we have on earth, whatever that looks like, wherever we're from. And also the idea of us being the kings and queens on our own thrones of our own lives, submitting ourselves to the throne of God and not allowing us to stay on those selfish thrones of our own kingdoms. And, and, and by doing that, seeing the goodness of God in our life and being manifested to others through our lives. The title of today's message is Eternal Edict. And this is the culmination. It's if somebody wrote you a love letter, one of the things that you probably gravitate towards most, and maybe there's certain parts of the letter, but how it's ended, you know, how it comes to conclusion. And this is very important for us to, to look at this morning in the Gospel of Matthew. It, maybe it's not so much of a postscript, a PS, but it's, a, but it's a, the heart of the message. is connected to the other things that we're going to be looking at. And it's, it's all about receiving instruction and what you do with that instruction. When, when I give people instruction, one of my favorite things to say to them, one of my favorite phrases when they come back to me is, do you guys know, I say it sometime from time to time, one of my favorite things to say is, I told you so. <laughs> I told you, I told you not to do this, I told you to do this, and it's not because I'm smart or, or better than anybody else, but the instruction has to come from God's word, and when we apply God's word to our life, we will find satisfaction and goodness and fruit and be blessed. But if you have instruction that has no application, it's a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for sadness, unfulfillment, 
Because God says that he knows the direction that we should go in. And he wants to give us instruction so that we know what to do. But the important thing is not that you hear the instruction. Are you with me this morning, church? It's not that you just hear the instruction. It's that you apply the instruction. Because instruction without application is a recipe for disaster. And there's no other way that you can cut it and say, well, I tried this or I tried that. Well, submit yourself to the instruction. We're going to look at two different parties this morning of people who received the instruction and, and, and dismissed it and the result of that, and people who received instruction and applied it and the fruit that comes from that. I had a uh, professor in Bible college that said to me, the most important thing about this Bible that you are going to learn is that Without application, it has no place or meaning in your life. It means nothing. Remember, Jesus said to the Pharisees and Sadducees, you guys search the scriptures and, and you, you missed me. The point of the scriptures were to, to lead you to me, to reveal me to you, and you completely missed me. And you travel over land and sea to win a convert, and when you do, you make him twice the son of hell than, than you are. Instruction is so important. And it's something that we need to not just understand when it comes to regular life stuff, but most especially when it comes to learning and receiving from God what his instruction is for us. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into Matthew chapter 27. Father, we want to have ears to hear, to receive so that we can be doers of the word and not hearers only, that we would see fruit come from our lives as we submit ourselves to you, and that as we submit ourselves to you, God, that you would continue this great, marvelous, glorious work that you've started in each one of us, that you've started in your church. So God, as you give us the instruction and, and you reveal to us the application, May we be diligent to make that application, to walk according to your will, according to your likeness, so that you could be glorified and we could walk in blessing. We love you. We ask that you bless this time in your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 27. Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. We see sometimes in life it's easy to share our faith with others, and sometimes it's more difficult. Can I get a witness? Sometimes it's like, oh yeah, I don't mind telling them about Jesus, but then other times it's like, I don't want to talk to them about Jesus. And we saw Nicodemus was a religious ruler in the Gospel of John, right? And he was very willing to accept Jesus in the privacy, in the darkness. There is going to come a point where his, his uh, faith is manifested. But here we have another guy, and a rich guy, who comes forward in boldness to say to Pilate, I want Jesus' body. And we don't know how that could have played out. It could have been worse than it was than just Pilate saying, yeah, go ahead and take the body. You might be hesitant in sharing the gospel with those around you that you know. I want to encourage you this morning. 
is no matter how you feel, talking about feelings again, response or reaction, no matter how you feel, it's something that you've been called to do. And it's something that should be happening naturally in your life. And it doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be technically difficult. I have people say, Pastor Tim, I would share my faith more with people, but I don't know what to say. And I don't know the Bible well enough. And I'm not a very mature Christian. And I say, and, you know, I say something, just keep it simple. Just keep it simple. Just share how God has manifested himself to you in your, in your life. And that's connected to Jesus. It's connected to repentance. It's connected to the gospel. But it's simply like, maybe it's just as simple as, as, as simple as once I was blind and now I see. I have a peace that passes understanding, which I cannot express to you, but I want you to learn about. I want you to understand. I want you to know him like how he's revealing himself to me. Even if those are the first steps, let's do it, okay? And then I have, you know, people come to me and say, I don't know who to disciple, and I don't know what to say to them, and this is what I say, my favorite. This is, did you guys hear Ronnie's announcement? We need help in kids' ministry. <laughs> are you getting what I'm putting down? Those little kids, they're pretty easy to disciple. They're brats, But it's a good launching pad. It's a good starting place for you to carve out a little bit of your time in your day and pour into one of these precious little kids that you could say, Lord, this is my service unto you, discipleship of your babies. Because Jesus didn't even refuse the little children. I do sometimes, but I'm not your example. Jesus is your example. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb, and he departed. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. So we have these people who have received information. They have received instruction. This really bothered me, it was that high. And through application, they, they, they take action. For Joseph, he goes to request the body of Jesus. And then we see these, these beautiful, wonderful women who we keep seeing. I have this verse underlined in my Bible. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb, wanting still to be as close to Jesus as they could be. And you remember we talked about last week, as Jesus is dying, he is, he is being tortured to death and dying on the cross, and as he looks out, who does he see? The manly men who, even if I have to die, Jesus, I'll die with you. No, he doesn't. He sees all of the ladies who it says were ministering to him, not ministered to him, but they continued to minister to him as he looked at them, gazing at him hanging on the cross. Something special about the ministry of these women and their absolute commitment and submission to the Lord. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. 
Therefore, command the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. So the last deception is worse than the first. Now, this is a very interesting verse. I want you to look back at 63 again. And if you're a note taker, underline it. Take note of this. Listen to what they say, saying to to Pilate, sir, we remember while he was still alive, how that deceiver said after three days, I will rise. Interesting. There were two accusations made against Jesus by the false witnesses. What was the, what was one of them? One of them was that he was the son of God. What was the other one? The other one was He said he could tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. That's what the people said. That's what the false witness says. Now what do the religious elite, religious leaders say? They knew the application. They knew what Jesus meant. And now they're exercising their faith, opposing Jesus. That he might arise. Listen to this, you guys. This blew my mind. And the more that I work through it and think about it, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had more faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ than his own disciples did. Because they didn't get it. And it's okay. They're going to come around. But they were so secure in what they believed that they said, we have to prohibit the Son of God from raising from the dead. So set a guard and make sure that, that it's taken care of so that the, the former deception or the latter deception is not as great as the former. You guys, just like we talked about last week, these people, they were with Jesus. They heard his words. They saw him. They, they encountered his miracles. And their hearts were so hardened that even believing that if he is the Son of God and raises from the dead, we have to figure out how we're still going to retain control. How we're still going to be in charge. Because why did they hand over Jesus to be crucified? What did Pilate know last week? He said, I know. He knew that he handed them over because of envy. We've got we to retain our position. We've got a plan. We we have authority. We need we need, you know, to to preserve our position in leadership. They had the information, but they missed the application, and they're going to be very sorry for it. They knew. We're going to come back to this because this is big stuff, you guys. Maybe as we read through the Gospel of Matthew or other Gospels and we, and we come across something like that, we're like, oh, yeah, well, maybe. They're. No, they, they're testifying that Jesus is who he said he is. Now, go secure. Actually, verse 65, Pilate said to them, you have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. We've got a big rock. Jesus' dead body is inside. Put the big rock over the front, and this seal would be a rope around and sealed with, with uh, um, wax so that the seal could not be broken. And it, and it spoke of the, the highest authority in the land, the Roman authority over that grave not being tampered with. And then guess what happened? Something happened. It was broken. The authority of the Roman government was broken, and it showed who had absolute authority. 
Now after the Sabbath, as the, fir- as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. This is an exciting story. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow, and the guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Take note of that verse too if you want to, if you're a note taker. The guard shook for fear of him and became dead? No. Became like dead. They were petrified. They were <sighs> that's offensive. They, they were scared. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come say, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Now, those last words strike me. They stand out to me. So if you want to also latch on to those for a second, what did the angel just say to her? He just said, I've given you the correct instruction. Behold, I have told you what to do. This is truth. Now, now what comes next for, for these ladies is what? What comes after you receive the instruction? The application. They could have done a lot of things. You just saw an angel. You're freaked out, right? You could have ran away. You could have, you know, just stayed there. I'm not going anywhere. And you could have gone inside and hung out in the tomb. I don't know. But look at this. As the instruction is received, immediate obedience is displayed. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. Guys, there can't be a lingering of application in our lives as believers. When we receive instruction, the most important thing to do is to apply it, get it going as soon as possible. Because the absolute danger that you know for you and for me is this statement. I'll take care of that tomorrow. We actually have a word in Croatian that we would use. They, they have a special word because their, their Mediterranean mindset, slow, you know, very slow doing things. And they say, mala sutra, mala sutra. And it means we'll take care of it tomorrow. But it means indefinitely, we'll get to it sometime. When we take the instruction of God's word, it's important to start the application process as soon as possible, but not uh, home groups on Wednesday night. And I'll talk about it then. I'll think about it then. I'll see how this applies to my life, pertains to me. Uh, when, when I'm hanging out, maybe I'll get to it next Sunday. I don't really like this word, <laughs> you know, and I like to cherry pick the things that I like about the Bible. Don't do it. Take the instruction seriously because as we're going to see, instruction without application is bad news. Bad news bears. Look at what happens in the next verse. As they exercise obedience to the command, to the instruction, and as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! 
So they came and held him by his feet and worshiped him. Remember a study a while ago, we talked about this word rejoice and what it means. Rejoice is to, to have joy again and again. Re, 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 like rewind. Have, rejoice, keep rejoicing, have continual joy. It's me. And as they received the instruction, they were obedient in application, Jesus reveals himself to them. And he says, rejoice, it's me. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Further instruction, go tell them, just like the angel said, and, and this is what they're going to experience. You tell them that you saw me, and they're going to see me as well. Now, while they were going, pay attention again, please, if you will, to this verse. Behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the, to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while he, we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. Now, let me, as we read it, we read through it. Let me try to, I'm going to put on a, a theatrical performance for you. I was thinking about doing a musical, but it was taking a lot of time. And I'm just going to, I want to illustrate what just happened, okay? So, so the, the soldiers who were at the tomb go to the religious leaders, and this is what they say. They say, oh man, this is what happened, okay? There was this angel that came from heaven and there was an earthquake and the, the, it was sealed. Nobody's supposed to be greater than the Roman authority, but the rock was rolled away and Jesus was gone. And we were so scared. We were petrified that we fell down. We thought we were going to die and we couldn't move. And the angel's like, Jesus is raised from the dead. And, and we're like, we don't know what to do. And then these women were there and, and it's crazy. What are we going to do? And here's the chief priests. They say, we thought this might happen. Jesus raised from the dead. And instead of being in a place, which I hope that none of us are ever in, but instead of being in a place of, we witnessed it, he demonstrated it, he proved himself, we need to go find Jesus. You, you hear what I'm saying? We need to submit ourselves to the authority of the Son of God who actually did what he said he was going to do and was raised from the dead. We're in trouble. Let's go talk to Jesus and see if there's something that we can... Repentance. Let's see if there's something that we can work out. Was that what happened? Was that where hopefully I would find myself receiving instruction in correction that would come some application, that would, that, wouldn't that be the application, right? Like, respond to the truth that they knew, they knew was true, respond to the truth by submission to the absolute authority, which the Romans weren't, which, oh, this is going to sting, they weren't, but Jesus was. And then how I, in some places of my life can allow other authorities to exalt themselves above Jesus Christ. This is how we're going to close with that in mind, but we're going to come back to it. Listen to this, verse 15. So they took the money and did as they were, what's that word? 
they did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Did they have to do what they were instructed? No. They could have taken the actual truth, the information, they, <laughs> as they lay on the ground, trembling, scared, knowing that what had happened was actual truth, but instead, what did they do? They took a little money to retain their position and authority, to benefit a little bit from it, and act like nothing happened. You know, we've said it a couple times here, church, and I don't mind saying it one more time. God wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to reveal himself to your friends, to your families, to your coworkers, to those who you know and love, to those who you don't know, but maybe want to share with them in love. But let's be praying for the condition of the heart before the word goes out. Because we don't want that seed falling on hard soil that's not going to produce the fruit of obedience from the gospel. And even in our lives, the fruits of the soils, I believe in a believer's life, are continual, cyclical. We can go through seasons in our life where our heart are softer to the things of God and what he wants to teach us. And sometimes we go through hardness of heart where we're not willing to receive what he's doing for us. But it's going to get done anyway. Because he's the absolute authority. They took the money and did as they were instructed. There are three things that I wanted to take away with you guys in regards to the tomb. And then after that, we're going to get into the last section and seven closing points, because that's the kind of church we are, okay? Seven closing points. You'll be fine. Nothing could hinder the plan and purpose of Jesus. Nothing. The stone couldn't stand before the resurrected Jesus. In fact, Jesus didn't even need the stone removed. The stone was removed to testify of the glory of God and who the Son of God was. Couldn't hold him in. Couldn't do anything even if it wanted to. Number two, the Roman authority doesn't stand before the resurrected Jesus. The highest authority in the land is not greater than who Jesus Christ was and is today. Number three, the Roman soldier's strength doesn't stand before the resurrected Jesus. Even the muscle can't stand to the authority of the Son of God. And this is, this is an issue of, a discussion of authorities in your and my life. When my absolute authority is Jesus Christ, nothing else can stand against it. If my own authority is what stands, if somebody else's authority, somebody else's expectation, it will always fail. There will always be a deficiency of the application, and there will be no peace. Jesus' authority is absolute, and that's, in fact, how we're going to end with the Great Commission, the eternal edict, the final instructions. So this is important. Remember, the, the, most, the most emphasized part of the letter at the very end, with all this in mind, this is what Jesus says to his disciples. He appears to them. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And the question is, why are they doubting? 
there was not a fulfilled expectation for them of who Jesus was supposed to be. And the crazy thing is, this comes full circle, Jesus was to the scribes and Pharisees who he said he was, but he wasn't to his own disciples. But because of submission, repentance, and a willingness to be Jesus' disciple, Jesus carries them along in humility, continuing to reveal himself to them. But for the others, there was a staunch, absolute rejection. And then Jesus came and spoke to them in verse 18, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Probably one of the most dissected and considered and studied portions of scripture for me personally in the gospels why because i took these verses and i said i want i I received the instruction what's the application and how do i do it and i went over to the mission field for 10 years to go therefore into all the world and proclaim the gospel and that's what Gracie and I did for 10 years. We, we went to wherever God wanted us to go, and we proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I broke these down for you this morning into our seven closing points. I want to present them to you and, and allow us to calibrate our discipleship and discipleship making and the direction that we should go as a church in, in the future. This is very important. We are not just a, a social get-together gathering. This is not just uh, have fun with people that you know. This is, a, this is a we're gathering together to fulfill the instructions that have been given to us. Number one, point number one in the Great Commission, all authority. How much authority? All authority. Nothing has more authority than Jesus Christ in all of eternity. He says, I've been given all authority and there's nothing that comes close or nothing that can even compete with it. According to that, you have not been sent out in your own authority or efforts. If you are experiencing failure, discouragement, or frustration, generally speaking with life, it might be because you're operating under your own authority. And you say things like, I'm trying hard. I'm doing the best I can. Listen, if you're submitted to the absolute authority of God in Jesus Christ and your obedience is is being demonstrated through the application towards him, then you're going to feel differently because he's the one in charge, not you. Not how hard you try, not what effort you put forth, not the results that you want to see. All authority has been given to Jesus. And this is the first thing that he says because it's probably the most important. You're not going out there in your own authority. You're going out there in confidence in the authority of Jesus, the Son of God. Number two, therefore go. He says, it's my authority that I'm sending you out on. Therefore go. 
This is a problem that we have in, in the church, uh, in, in the, the global church. It's imperative that you go and tell, not just invite people to come and see. The modern church has this idea, this, this concept of, of the pastor saying to all the congregants, you guys go out and invite people to come to church. Because when they come to church, they'll hear the gospel, and then maybe their lives will be changed. This is not the biblical model. The biblical model is you guys are equipped for the work of the ministry. I know that sounds terrible. I got to do something. You guys are equipped for the work of the ministry to go and tell. And coming and seeing isn't a bad thing. I'm not telling you not to invite your friends to church. In fact, I'm telling you, invite all of your friends to church next Sunday. But in order to do that, you had better be a part of their life and going and telling them more than you're trying to push the, the work off onto me. I got to, yeah, that's shocking. How can the pastor say that? This is his job. It's your job too. I got a phone call from a brother who, who said, hey, Pastor Tim, I got this guy, and I've been, you know, he's, he's open to come to church, and he's, he, he wants to come and see, and blah, 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 and I was just wondering if you can get together with him and have coffee and share the gospel with him. I said, nope. I said, you can get together with him and share the gospel with him because I know how long you've been attending our church and I would be ashamed if you couldn't do it. And this guy, this guy, he's a man's man. You know what I'm saying? He's like, oh, darn it, you're right, I know. Okay, I'll give it my best shot. And he could receive it. If it was somebody else, I might have been nicer, but I didn't feel like it. Hey, church, your instruction is under the authority of Jesus even if it's going and ministering to little babies in the nursery, even if it's to the simplest people that you know how to talk to, even if it's just saying, I once was blind, but now I see, go and tell. We need to cultivate a culture in our fellowship that we are about the application of the instruction, and we're not only willing to receive it, but we're willing to actually do it. Go and tell. Number three, Make disciples. I like this one. Being a disciple takes discipline. Get it? Making disciples also takes discipline. I know very few people in, in my life, as long as I've been in ministry, that really love going out and making disciples, sharing the gospel, following up. And you know why? Because it's hard. And you know what else? It stinks. And like a, like a pastor once told me, you know why people uh, in the church are called sheep? It's because sheep stink and they bite, and they're not pleasant. So just as much as it takes discipline, discipleship, that's where the, the discipline comes from, just as much as it takes discipline to be a disciple, as you're exercising discipline in your discipleship to Jesus, carrying your cross daily, crucifying the flesh, it also takes discipline to be a discipler. Now, I'm going to ask this question, and I don't want anybody to raise your hands or anything, but I want you to just meditate and think, think about this. Who was the last person that you discipled, and or have you ever made a disciple of Jesus Christ? Because that's your instruction your instruction isn't to find a church that you think can minister to your needs and get in a big building and sing songs and 
kumbaya and talk about things that make you feel good. That's not what your instructions are. Your instructions are, by, through discipline, be a disciple, and by discipline, make disciples. And however simple that can be for you, I'm telling you, it's not complicated. Take that out, go and tell, and help make disciples. Even if it's sharing the little bit of faithfulness and goodness God has demonstrated to you in your life. Number four, all nations. I actually heard somebody say, and I literally wanted to punch him in the face. I actually heard someone say to me before, they don't deserve the gospel. And I said, you don't deserve the gospel. Are you kidding me? You think the gospel is for some people over others? That God is, is privileged some people with the gospel, but not others? Who do you think you are? All nations, every tribe, nation, and tongue will bow their knee and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And there's nobody above or below the receiving of the gospel. And the follow-up to that is, God wants everyone to hear the good news. He loves them and wants them to know who he is. We don't get to pick and choose. In fact, I love sharing the gospel with the people that I hate the most. I've said this, you know, before. Do you know why? Because it's easy. Hopefully, they'll never talk to me again. Hopefully, they'll get really mad at me. And I'm like, listen, you just got to know Jesus. And they keep coming around. And I'm like, oh, if you, you're going to burn in hell unless you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And then they get saved, and I've got to disciple them. <laughs> Number five, baptizing them. They are not disciples of you. This was actually my favorite one. They are not disciples of you, your political party, your social group, your ideologies. They are to follow the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I am not trying to persuade people to be more like me. In fact, you don't want to be more like me. You definitely want to be more like Jesus. And I have seen people, they, they think that they're converting people to, a, to a, a culture. I have seen missionaries on the foreign mission field that were sent out to preach the gospel that have taken the American dream and tried to apply it to people. In foreign, that's not the gospel. And when we preach the gospel, we baptize in the authority of Jesus, in the Father, His will for the people, for people, His love for the people, the Son, His willingness to die for those people, and the Holy Spirit, you being indwelt with the Holy Spirit at conversion and being led by the Spirit. Number six, teaching them. You know what the funny thing about teaching people is? What do you have to do to be a teacher? You've got to be a student. You've got to be a student. Get in the Word of God and learn so you can teach others, instruct others. And again, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad or to make this worse, you know, but, but don't, just, just like in compassion, don't be a Sunday Christian, you know, get involved in a home group, get involved in a small group, men's group, women's group. Learn, study the Bible so that you have something to give to others. Because like one of my Bible college professors told me, he said, you can read any book in the world, any book that's ever been written, and you can exhaust said book. But this book, you can never exhaust it. 
And I'll tell you, after almost 20 years of myself personally teaching the Bible, I just am overwhelmed by the fact that I can keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And, and peel more back and peel more back and go deeper and it's inexhaustible. And in the words of Pastor Chuck Smith, I heard him say this on a Chuck tape when I was a very young believer. He said that he feels like he knows less now about the Bible and God than he did when he started. And let me tell you something. I knew a lot when I started because I'm a smart guy. So I knew what to tell people. And I studied to show myself approved and I was approved. No, listen, the more that you study, the more that you dig in, the more your mind is going to be blown. My mom passed away, you might know, at, at 56 from breast cancer. And we were at the memorial service. I spoke at the service, and I was outside, and, and there was a lot of people struggling. My mom was a godly woman who loved Jesus. And somebody came up to me, and they asked me, and they said, Hey, how are you doing? How are you? How are, you seem to be doing well, and a lot of people are not doing well. So what does that look like? How are you really doing? And I said, This is the best way that I could explain it. One of the life lessons that God has taught me from the very beginning is the abundance of his grace. Now, I thought grace was just grace, right? It's just unmerited favor, and that's what we learn theologically. Grace is God's unmerited favor, but that's not what grace is. Do you know what grace is? Grace is multifaceted. I said, I'm experiencing right now the manifold grace of God. I'm experiencing grace on another level that I never even knew existed in going in that depth. And that's what God wants for each one of us, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, to go deeper, to learn so that we can go and teach. And then number seven, with you always, no matter how difficult it gets, even to the end of the world, he will never leave you or forsake you. With all those other six points brought together, and in the most difficult time, with the most tribulation, when you want to give up and you don't know what to do, he says this, even at the end of the world, I am with you. I'm with you. And if you believe that truth, walking in obedience to those first six points are going to be a lot easier than if you think you're doing it on your own. Because when you think you have to do it on your own, man, does the enemy pipe up, and it's a lot easier to give up, isn't it? But Jesus says, you're not. You're not alone. And even in seasons of my life where I thought I was the only person going through what I was going through, and, and maybe my wife with me, but we were utterly alone, we took absolute peace in knowing and in confidence that we were where we were supposed to be because he was with us. And he is with you. So let's take the instruction that the Lord's given us today, and not out of guilt, not out of pressure. I don't want to, you know, put anybody's arm behind their back, but let's take it and apply it. Not just this week, but, but into the weeks to come, that God, we don't want to be church attendees. We want to be disciples who are discipling in your name. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your encouragement to us. 
It's not discouragement, your encouragement to give us instruction. So we have answers for people. We can, we can give the direction. We can step up, and even when it's difficult, to, to put feet to our faith and, and look for people that we can disciple under your authority. And, and may what we give to them be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not any program, not any political affiliation, not any focus on a certain type of citizenship, but on you and your goodness and grace toward them. Father, we love you. Empower us with your spirit that we may walk in obedience and experience the abundance of fruit that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you all an opportunity to respond this morning because I understand that this is a strong word. And as much as it's a strong word for you, it's also a strong word for me. It takes discipline. And the discipline applies to everybody. So with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity. If you have never publicly professed Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and you want to do that this morning, understanding with the instruction what that looks like, I want to give you the opportunity. So while everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if that's you, you've never done that before, I want you to raise your hand high in the air so that I can pray for you, we can pray together. Anybody here this morning? I see your hand. Father, I pray for this person and ask that you would not only give them an understanding of who you are, but through repentance of sin and reconciliation to you, that you would give the gift, your gift to her, the power of your Holy Spirit. And as she takes this journey with you, that you would continue to reveal yourself to her and show her how she is a part of your body. In Jesus' name. While your eyes are still closed and your heads are still bowed, if there's anybody here who has not been taking the directive to be a disciple maker seriously and you want to step up into your calling to not just be a Christian, but to be a disciple who makes disciples, if that's you this morning, I want to pray for you so that we can go into this next season. Raise your hand high and we'll pray together if you want to be more of a discipler. Father, I pray for these, my brothers and sisters, whose heart in honesty have confessed to you that they want to be more submitted. Whatever level of they were before was, was okay, but they've recognized that they want to be more. And they can only do it, and we know, Lord, that we can only do it under your authority. We can only do it in your baptism with the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. Give them boldness like we see in the book of Acts to take great steps of faith, to talk about their faith and present the Messiah that they can be reconciled to you. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Oh, oh, oh.